Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I am professional film critic Sean pa Sean Patrick. With me is Jeff. Hello. Uh, Jeff, where do they find your stuff? Jeff Lasseter is my website. It's got links to all my uh, wonderful Etsy store. Um, I dug out a few of my uh, Valentine Cupid Killer stickers just in time mm -hmm. for Valentine's Day, so go get those. Very cool. All right. Uh, my stuff is at uh, geeks.media, horror.media. Of course, all part of the uh, vocal family. You can find my stuff there, uh, including a, a lengthy uh, uh, piece I did on the Vince McMahon scandal. It's a wrestling thing, Jeff. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm a wrestling fan. I've long been a wrestling fan, and I decided to, uh, to document everything that's in the, the current lawsuit against him, which accuses him of sexual assault, sexual abuse, sex trafficking, uh, using a woman uh, who, uh, to basically try and negotiate a contract with one of his wrestlers, using her as essentially currency in that negotiation. Mm. Uh, just He's accused of a lot of horrific things. And while the 67-page the, the document is one everyone should read, I thought it would be helpful for people if I put into kind of a, a time timeline exactly how long or exactly how this went, how this went down and of course nailing down the various places where professional wrestling in the wwe programming was at the time which uh, sort of shows just sort of the callous disregard of everyone involved when it came to this particular scandal i don't get this he seems like such a stand-up guy <laughs> i'm being so so sarcastic sorry yeah i mean it you know, I was talking to a guy who wrote a book, uh, a, a woman who wrote a book about him, and uh, she, we were talking about how Vince McMahon is the kind of guy who's been telling you who he is for years on television, mm -hmm. and it's that classic thing. When somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Okay, he's been, I mean, this is a man who brought a woman to the ring back in 2001 and had her, uh, at the time, he was in a storyline in which he was cheating with this woman against his wife who was in a coma. This is part of a storyline. Oh uh, they were wheeling the wife around in a wheelchair uh, wherever they went and making her watch as he was making out with this woman. But then he decided to punish this woman that he's supposedly sleeping with by making her strip nearly nude in the ring and bark like a dog. And he wrote that and showed mm. it on television. Live television. Like, this guy's been telling you he's a piece of crap for years. Yeah. Ugh. There's a reason I don't care about wrestling. <laughs> I swear it's much better than people like him. I swear to it. Um, let's see. Uh, have you, uh, so obviously, uh, on to another topic you don't care about, football. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I care about Taylor Swift, though. <laughs> well, this weekend uh, is the Super Bowl, and, and uh, despite whether you care about football or not, you do care about movie trailers and uh, debut trailers specifically, because this weekend is going to mark, uh, I believe, the debut of the Deadpool trailer, uh, which is one of the most anticipated trailers of the year. Yeah, I hope that the one that I saw was um, a fake one. Uh-oh. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, I mean, they do have a tendency to start showing these things even before the big game. Yeah, yeah. I just somebody posted it on Twitter, and I watched it, and somebody was like, "Oh, that's fake," and somebody else was like, "No, it's real." And I'm just like, "Come on, I don't. I just want to know." I'm not that I not that it was bad. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I just 
I wasn't like blown away. So I'm hoping that mm-hmm. that was just a fake one. We'll find out on Sunday for sure. We will be hearing from Deadpool. We'll also be hearing uh, for the first time about Wicked. We'll see actual like uh, footage from Wicked. Hopefully Ariana Grande has learned how to enunciate once in a while. <laughs> it's like she I... never met a vowel she liked. <laughs> this is not something I was aware of about her. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, we've I've heard a lot about Wicked. It feels like this has been in production for a long time, and now it's finally uh, apparently arriving this year. I mean, I love this. I love the stage show. I like the book. I'm hoping that it's something good. Mm. All I'll say. Uh, we're also expected to see uh, footage from Inside Out 2 and uh, Pla- Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes as well. See, like I said before, I'm looking forward to that, even though I know that some people aren't. <laughs> I just like the Planet <laughs> of the Apes movies. They've been so good. I I, I worry that at some point the, the quality has to decline. Uh, it just mission creep has to set in at some point. And that's my fear that this is going to be the time when that finally happens. Well, this one looks like it um, it leads up into the uh, the old Charlton Heston ones. That's kind mm-hmm. of the the vibe I'm getting from that. So mm-hmm. who knows? I guess that, that's an interesting idea. But again, like I said, this, it's been around for a while now, and. Uh, these things just tend to, it just tends to happen where the quality's got to dip at some point. Yeah. Well, Jason Clark won't be in it, so that's good. <laughs> Not a fan. Oh, why? What is the problem? Oh. I don't know. It's his face. I'm sorry. That's mean, but he's just <laughs> he got a punchable face. He's got a resting bitch face. He does. Yeah. It was, that's, that, the, literally, that was his entire character in Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, I just—he's just somebody that I just don't—I just—I just don't like watching him on screen. Mm. Uh, I think that—that that was one. Aside from knowing the twist in the Pet Cemetery remake, <laughs> the <laughs> fact that he was in it was already a strike against it. Mm. So, but that's just me being weird. As you well, uh, we get to. Coming up on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, Dario Argento, the movies of Dario Argento, and our kind of takes on two of them specifically. But uh, first up is Argyle, uh, the new Matthew Vaughn film that Jeff didn't know was a Matthew Vaughn film. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) You literally missed every marketing of this movie. (laughs) You know what? I saw the trailer, but I wasn't paying attention to it because I thought it looked like a Matthew Vaughn movie, and I don't like (laughs) Kingsman movies mm-hmm. um i saw the first one and i was like oh i guess i don't like taron edgerton and then i saw the the rocket man one or the elton john movie and i was like oh i kind of like him maybe I, and then i'm like nah i don't want to uh, no <laughs> i like the first kingsman movie i thought it was pretty good the, se- the second or the, the prequel is completely off the rails yeah it, it's weird there's like a scene in that movie that i i had to pause the movie and write an entire article about this scene. I'm going to tell you about it. Basically they're fighting Rasputin 
like the legendary Rasputin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like Rasputin gets a cut on his leg, and he like requests Ray Fiennes to lick it. And I'm like, why is this? Why is this happening right now? And I, I just he wants him to lick this open wound on his leg, and I just it it goes on like that. And you're just kind of left baffled as to why anyone would put this into a movie. Uh, there's just never any explanation <laughs> for it. Why it's there, uh, other than the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughn. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, I wrote like 2,000 words just about how up- upsetting that, s- that series of scenes was. Interesting. Yeah. Did really well, too, so I'm very happy with that. Uh, but <laughs> Argyle stars uh, Bryce Dallas Howard as a, uh, a shut-in, best-selling author who uh, writes uh, books about espionage. And uh, as happens in a movie, she finds herself uh, drawn into an actual espionage plot when she goes to visit her mother, played by Catherine O'Hara. She's uh, kidnapped off the train by a spy, played by Sam Rockwell, who explains that her books are actually onto something in terms of being actual spy stuff, actual espionage plots. Uh, she seems to have knowledge that uh, that perhaps she shouldn't have. Uh, and from there, you know, people are trying to kill her and they're trying to stay alive and trying to figure out exactly what this uh, plot to kill her is all about. Uh, there are things I actually like about this movie. I like Henry Cavill, uh, which is weird mm-hmm. for me because I've, I've long, like I used to hate Henry Cavill back in the day. Uh, back before Batman versus Superman, I thought he was the worst actor on the planet. He did a movie <laughs> with Bruce Willis that is just unwatchable. He is amateur in that film. And it was just that color, colored my opinion of him for a very, very long time. But he's really gotten better. I think the Superman experience uh, really turned him around in terms of being a, understanding that he's a movie star and not an actor. I think really helped him a lot. Yeah. Like it kind of let him be a movie star as opposed to trying to be an actor, which I think is far a far better place for him. Uh, and that certainly proves out uh, throughout the rest of his career, uh, including this movie where he plays the fictional Argyle character and uh, uh, the secret agent. And like I said, I thought he was good. John Cena is fun. Uh, I thought that was a really clever idea. Um then the actual plot, Sam Rockwell uh, jumps in, and he's really engaging as well. And I like Bryce Dallas Howard. Overall, I just like all these people, and that's really what kind of makes me appreciate this movie. Uh, I think there are probably maybe just one or two twists too many, and certainly by the end, by the by the end credits, which we'll get to, as uh, we're going to do some spoilers on this one. We'll warn you. Um, by the end, it's just it's maybe two or three twists too many. So it keeps it from being like a really, really good movie, but I didn't mind it. I kind of enjoyed it. I did too, actually. Um, you know, not go going into it, not knowing that it was probably a Kingsman movie. Um, <laughs> I, I like Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, also, she's also a terrific director. Um, I like everybody in it. And that was the thing. I was like, Oh, okay. I came in. I also learned today that uh, Cinemark has apparently gone from 25 minutes before you know, of trailers and commercials to 20. Because hmm. um, I showed up 20 minutes in and it was already going. So, Oh, wow. Um, I mean, 20 minutes. It was at 1040 and I showed up at 11 o'clock and it was already, had already started. Hmm. Um, 
which is fine. I didn't miss anything that I hadn't seen in the trailers. Um, but I like everybody in it. I mean, even Dua Lipa, you know, I thought (laughs) she was (laughs) fine. Um, and yeah, I think the only problem I really had with it was it every time you turn around, there's a new twist and another twist and then a Mm -hmm. twist upon a twist and then a twist (laughs) upon a twist. But you know, I thought overall it was, it was well done. It was, um, there are a few little, like little things that bugged me. Like when she's sliding around on all the crude oil, she's doesn't have any oil on her. <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. That's, cool. That's yeah. a little fun scene though. But, oh yeah. I mean, I, I, she's I like ice it. skating on what knives or something. Like, it's really <laughs> dumb. But. I mean, come on. It, it, this is a total, like just stupid action movie that <laughs> doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's not supposed to be high art and it's yeah. not by any sense of the imagination, high art. But it was fun. It was engaging. It was like, it reminded me. Remember the movie Foul Play with Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn? Kind of. It was that kind of, it's like that kind of silly caper or Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg, mm-hmm. where the, you know, the normal woman gets brought into this yeah. convoluted plot and mm-hmm. spy a spy caper. It reminded me of those kind of movies from the seventies and eighties. And I appreciated that. Um, you know, I thought Bryce Dallas Howard was better as the author who was suddenly thrust into this, mm-hmm. you know, not, um, and then she kind of, it took her a few minutes to kind of find her footing. And maybe that was just the character, but it took her a few minutes, in my opinion, to get her footing as a spy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that was by design or if it was just the tonal shift or what. Because, I mean, it, it, it boomerangs between tones throughout the last half of the movie. Yeah. You know, is it sad? Is it funny? Is it scary? Is it, you know, that was my, that was my only real issue is like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about these people. Yeah. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Oh no, they're the bad guy. No. Oh, maybe they're the good guy. That kind of thing. (laughs) And it does that again. One too many times by the end. Yeah. Uh, Especially like the the final, the final moment. Spoilers from, from here to, when we start talking about Dario Argento, uh, the basically that we've come to find out that uh, Argyle may be a real, real person somehow, uh, and that uh, she was actually a spy named R. Kyle, Rachel Kyle, and <laughs> she lost her memory or had her memory taken from her. Uh, <laughs> but the but that there is Henry Cavill shows up at the end, all weird. And then we cut to the cut to the credits, and suddenly the Kingsmen arrive, and it's like, "What? Wait, I'm confused. <laughs> are the Kingsmen real in this universe, or are they part of the book she wrote?" I couldn't that like that desperately eluded me. I wasn't sure if the intention was to say that the Kingsmen were a real thing in this universe, well, or so or were the Kingsmen made up for her book? Well, that's what I okay. So the after credits scene. 
is supposed to be a young Argyle, mm-hmm. Agent Argyle. Right, and who doesn't exist. Who doesn't exist. He goes to the Kingsman bar that I think is a gay bar, because the uh, if it's not, the bartender was, because he was hitting on young Argyle, calling <laughs> babe and stuff. Um, <laughs> so I'm a little confused. And I, I was a little, I was thinking at that one point when you figure out that she's Argyle and he's, uh, what's his face? Um, John Cena's character. Mm-hmm. When you figure out that she's actually Argyle and he's that guy that I really thought because of their, they were having a romance that Argyle and his partner were going to have a romance too. <laughs> and I think the only thing that stopped that is probably John Cena didn't want to make out with another guy. <laughs> and, and, as was revealed uh, earlier today, Henry Cavill thinks that sex scenes in movies are not really okay. Oh, well, I don't know if you I saw that. that. Yes, the execrable uh, Hollywood reporter broke a story this afternoon where he said he didn't care for sex scenes in movies. Well, good for him. So he doesn't, yeah. he, he doesn't have to do it. So <laughs> Right, yeah. I mean, the only time I don't care about a sex scene in a movie is either A, it's a straight one, or B, uh, I'm uncomfortably watching one with my parents or my nieces. <laughs> I think I think sex scenes in movies are fine as long as you know, as long as it makes sense that this should be here. Like if if the whole point of the movie is to be you know, to show off how super horny everything is, <laughs> then yeah, <laughs> poor things. I think every one of those sex scenes matter. I do. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Maybe he saw that and he was just really embarrassed. Maybe he saw it with his mom. <laughs> like the the nudity in Oppenheimer, absolutely necessary. I I I wrote that. I wrote an article about how that about that. Yeah. I'm deadly serious about that. You can incorporate nudity or sex into a movie and make it matter. It's when it doesn't matter, when it's obviously gratuitous, needless, and and doesn't belong. That's when it becomes a problem to me. And that's a thin line. It's a thin yeah, line. Yeah. But, but it goes back to, again, <laughs> the, 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 what used to be the definition of pornography. I know it when I see it. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the... Like, I was, think, I was talking about writing with somebody mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. And how I'm writing something right now, and it's, it's fiction. And that I... It's... I should put a sex scene in it just to fuck with people because it's got a gay protagonist and you know how straight people are about gay people with sex. <laughs> um, but the, I don't, I don't, I feel like I think they're silly when you read them, hmm. you know, just some of them are so just <laughs> stupid and silly. And, you know, he, he thrust, and as her bosoms heaved and you know, all that stupid word <laughs> language, which is, I think it's dumb, mm-hmm. but I think that movies and TV, it's a way to um, shorthand a bond, you know, people, especially in, in weird situations like, and okay. Like when you're watching the Terminator and mm-hmm. they have sex and yeah. you don't realize until the and that it's very necessary for them to have sex. Right. But you, it's that trauma bonding kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But it makes sense for these two characters. They're, you know, they're in this very 
uh, difficult situation. Uh, you know that they they're going through a lot. It makes sense that they would bond, even if the bond, even if bonding in this case is you know getting down to it. Uh, it makes it made sense in that movie to have that happen, yeah. even before the even before they reveal uh, the necessity of it. But like, if if um, I don't know if you're watching like American fiction and Jeffrey Wright just randomly hooks up with uh, Issa Rae, that would be <laughs> dumb. So. You got to set it up. You got to set up your movie to 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 uh, to involve something like that. It has to make yeah. sense, as always. As always, and anything really, not just sex, but like just about any anything you include in your movie should make sense for being there. And if it doesn't, then it shouldn't be there. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of brings us back to the Kingsman thing. Why is this here? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't. I get like okay. So they smash cut away from that and it's you know argyle book one the film and i'm like is that in the movie does she get a book does she getting a movie deal or is are we gonna see are you know is that his new franchise the argyle series yeah i couldn't tell i couldn't tell what that meant i was so confused uh, <laughs> true i mean i i didn't care like i don't care but I like at the same time I was trying to understand if if then the Kingsman if the entirety of the Kingsman universe then just exists in Argyle, <laughs> right? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> Is that well? And but that that's thrown into an odd. That's kind of an odd question when you consider that uh, Samuel L. Jackson is a villain in the Kingsman universe. He was a billionaire. Right. Uh, he was a billionaire terrorist. I think it was the first or second movie. Uh, so having him be here in Argyle as the, you know, the head of the secret CIA, uh, it makes, it th sort of makes that all very, very weird. Yeah, exactly. Just I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a snake thing. eating its tail. Yeah. It, <laughs> by the end, he's already twisted us so far that, that it's kind of, he's gone too far. Even I think even before Henry Cavill shows up as a character in the real world. I think mm -hmm. even before that, we're, we've reached a point where we've kind of twisted one too many times. And, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it hurt my enjoyment of it to just have these, like, the twists just seem to be the point at a certain point, which uh, we'll also get to when we talk about Argento. But, uh, yeah. It's just, it's one or two twists too many by the end, even before we get to those last two truly needless twists. Well, I mean, I was... I thought it was going to go somewhere completely different when we got with the first twist that her dad was the director. Yeah. I thought it was going to go somewhere completely different. And I'm like, how are they going to get out of this? But when they did, I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, shooting Catherine O'Hara and then bringing her back. And then, you know, it's just shooting her again, you know, doing all this stuff. I'm like, come on. Who do I, you know, where am I going with this? Mm -hmm. And then um, when she shoots Sam Rockwell in the chest, they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the convoluted way they get around that is, I admire it. I admire it almost just because it's so silly. So to me, it's like, it's silly, 
Mm-hmm. And it's kind of too clever for its own good. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, uh, remember the, the end of Halloween H2O when Jamie Lee Curtis cuts off Michael Myers' head? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect yeah. ending, right? How are they going to bring him back? And then they bring him back and it's, I thought at the time it was clever, but now I'm like, oh, it's too clever. It's, you know, she actually, uh, he switched the mask and put it on a guy like, and put him in the back and it wasn't really Michael. And I mean, it's that, that it's that little bit of, it's too clever by half. And, (laughs) you know, at first you're like, oh, and then you think about it. You're like, come on. But as soon as they did that, as soon as I did that and she said, well, I got an email from, you know, somebody who said I could bring this other character back yeah. in the next book. I was like, oh, that she's already alive. She, that's the twist. Another yep. twist. Adriana DuBose. Thank you. I couldn't, I, I was just like, come on. I don't know. I just, it was, I enjoyed it the whole time. I enjoyed it. And then it was like, the twists overstayed their welcome just a couple times. So Definitely. Any final um, thoughts on Argyle? Fun fact, the cat, which I was led to believe before I watched this was completely CGI. is not. It's actually the cat of Matthew Vaughn's wife, who is Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh. I thought the cat would have more of a role to play. <laughs> well, so I realized that I, you know, some of the stuff from the trailer where the cat had um, the little cat case thing that they took from Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was at one point in the trailer had a broken window on it. Yeah. So I was like, well, the cat's not going away. The cat's going to come back at some point because when they left the cat in the apartment, the little glass bubble was intact. So I'm like, okay, I know it's coming back at some point, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't. I did too. My enjoyment I, could be tempered by one thing though. Uh, have you heard the rumors about who wrote this? Uh, I don't know about the rumors. I just know that it, um, was Jason Fuchs, according to, (laughs) according, according to, and then I can't, I don't know where this rumor is coming from, but apparently this is based off of a book that hasn't been published yet. And the book, uh, was actually written by someone else. And the theory goes that the book was actually written by by J.K. Rowling under one of her pseudonyms. Mm. But also uh, there's an equally credible rumor that says Taylor Swift wrote this. So I, who knows? I don't well, understand any of it. <laughs> what can't Taylor Swift do? <laughs> I mean, if they, I think if that had happened, they would have put that out there. They, they might have sold more than 18 million tickets. <laughs> I'm going to honestly say I used to hate Taylor Swift. Yeah. I am now a Swifty. <laughs> I actually started watching uh, Miss Americana the other night. Yeah. Uh, when I laid down to bed, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna. I've got Netflix for another few 
weeks. I'm going to just see. And I, I, uh, turned that on and I was like, Oh no, I, I can't fall asleep to this. I have to watch the whole thing. So. No. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to drink in the tears of men crying every time she's on camera on Sunday. Mm. Oh, yeah. Delicious. I'm, I'm going to my sister's for dinner on <laughs> on Sunday, and I think what I'm going to do is, you know, make like some Taylor Swift uh, recipes or something to celebrate the Taylor Swift Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I think everybody should. <laughs> like lavender haze cookies, shake and bake it off chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> um, anti-hero sandwiches. Um, I don't know, you know, something cruel summer squash. <laughs> Do you any more puns? No, I'm done. All right. Sorry. <laughs> My favorite TikTok video right now is just this little three-year-old girl. She's got a Chiefs jersey on and her mom asks her who her favorite player is. And she goes, Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most adorable thing ever. <laughs> yes, honey, that is your favorite player. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. I, I know what you mean. I love watching guys get all pissed, and you know, um, the fact. Did you hear about how uh, people were? Especially, like, all the gay guys I follow on Twitter were all pissed that she didn't, like, bow down and kiss Celine Dion's feet and then, you know, saw off one of her hands for not oh, for fuck's sake. hugging yeah, her. You know, just, like, all that bullshit. Celine Dion doesn't like to be hugged in public, necessarily, because who, who knows what could happen on in front of millions of people. I don't, I just... All right. Uh, spoiler alert over. We can move on to our other... Uh, new movie this week, which is Panico. It's a documentary about uh, the life and career of Dario Argento, and it uh, takes us through his entire career and and uh, interviews directors who in, who he's influenced over the years, and uh, goes you know some great behind the scenes footage, talk uh, conversations with his you know member people who've worked with him as cast members and crew members and. Uh, it's a very insightful documentary that has a, has a lot of very interesting moments. But for me, the most captivating moment is an interview with Christina Marcelac, who stars in, mm -hmm. in opera. Yep. And this interview is fascinating. She's at once, she begins the interview by talking about how Argento is like this father figure to her and, and how much she admires him. And by the end, it's like she's telling us about this horrific psychodrama that she's been through the entire time working with him uh, and how it was actually hell on earth for her to try and deal with him. And he was a, a petulant child, just like throwing ravens at her during the, during the, during the uh, making of the movie. Uh, and it's, this, it's, it, it just reminded me of like, Argento being like a villain in his own movies. Like it's, yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's a short form Argento movie. Just watching her do that interview. She, we're going to talk about opera and she is, I bet now if she were to do a role like that, she would be much, much better. Mm. Um, but I don't know if, if, not having that experience 
with him, she would be where she is now as far as like, you know, like psych in her psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was the, <clears throat> that was kind of the highlight and the low light of Panico mm-hmm. for me. <clears throat> yeah. Cause I knew, you know, I knew that that was a thing. I knew that they had famously fought, um, and not well fought as fought as the because she didn't really fight back you no, know no, one sided <laughs> yeah he basically treated her like shit throughout this whole movie it was like hitchcock and vera miles you know mm-hmm. so but it, it, it speaks to though the way that uh argento you know directs movies and the, and the effect that he wants to have which is uh panic which he wants to induce panic. He wants to go beyond merely scaring you into making you like, uh, you know, fidget nervously and feel like a genuine anxiety about your own existence. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I found that to be in the way that they allow him to, to, uh, to address that himself directly about how he feels about fear versus panic. I thought that was a tremendous insight into into what he does and how he does it. Yeah, yeah, that um I think that he is far more insightful about what, you know, uh, who he was as a director in the 70s and 80s than who he was as a person. Mhm. Um and you know, his his movies are they kind of speak for themselves as far as I'm concerned, but you know, knowing some of the, some of the behind the scenes dramas that happened and all that, that weren't even in Panico, you know, just they kind of, they kind of speak a little more to the man that he was at the time. So. Mm. Yeah. What they, they, they address and don't address, the relationship with his daughter and specifically how he directed uh, his daughter in, in movies where you know, he's directing her in these sex scenes that uh, even she, she goes on to describe them as an ele- having an electric complex, which is, I, yeah. I thought I, I appreciated her candor at the same time. This does not shine a, a good light on him. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, he is, you know, it's it's like the artist is brilliant as an artist, but fails as a human being mm-hmm. all the time, and that's him and Woody Allen, and you know, like all these all these creative idiots, you know, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so people who believe that uh, cruelty is is a necessity in art. Somebody if, for art to be great, someone has to suffer. Is the belief yeah. that many have, and I just don't see that. I just don't believe that's true. I don't believe that suffering is absolutely necessary in every case. Uh, Argento disagrees quite vehemently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he famously, like I said, talking about. Uh, I don't want to talk, talk too much about opera because we're going to get to it. But uh, he talked about how throwing ravens at at Christina Marsalak, he was intending to induce the effect that he wanted. He wanted to create actual real fear on her face uh, and get a real realistic fear response from her. And he, he felt that this was the only way he could get it by completely torturing her. 
in mocking her, you would mock her over. We'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 movie uh, does a great job of placing him in in the context of his uh, legend. I think the interviews with Guillermo del Toro and uh, the you know, the other direct Nicholas Winding Ren talking to them about having them talk about Argento and what he does. I thought that was the most uh, truly insightful in terms of his filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. I I think that you know, like he's influenced so many people, like Guillermo del Toro. I could talk. I could watch an entire documentary just Guillermo del Toro talking about his influence on him. Hmm. Like literally just two hours of, well, here's the, you know, talking about del Toro talking about Argento's movies. Mm -hmm. You could make a series out of it and just like show, you know, like do commentary tracks for all of his films. I would love that. Because he would have something very insightful to say about all of them, as he demonstrates yeah. here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he's probably the standout interview subject, uh, for sure. I, th- I think he's got the most, definitely artistic insight into, into Argento. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the I think this is a very good documentary. I do think, I, like I said, the stuff about his daughter that the movie, def- they're definitely trying to avoid uh they they have to address it it does come up and then it's not really it's not in depth uh i do but i think again going back to his daughter asia she's she's very candid i mean she mentions uh she mentions having her uh, losing her virginity on the set (laughs) in one of of her father's movies uh, in in a scene in one of her father's movies which is absolutely insane that is not something that should happen to anyone on a movie set agreed and here it's a a, a father directing his daughter oh yeah it's just so creepy <laughs> so, <laughs> but we're still making documentaries that, you know celebrating him so here we well, are we're making an you also podcast have... celebrating his work so so she's got a a troubled reputation as well how could she uh, not and, you know she was famously with uh um anthony bourdain mm-hmm. they were together when he unalived himself i don't know if we can say committed suicide here um but you know then she was in trouble for some inappropriate stuff with a minor apparently after that or during that and I was just like, does anybody know what the fuck this girl has gone through in her entire life? You know, like just this uh, being the, and I'm not excusing anything she may have done or whatever. I'm not saying right. that. I'm saying that she had, she grew up with this like psychosexual torment that her father put her mother through. And, right. uh, you know, like all the stuff that happened to her and her mother on his sets and, how could she not have a fucked up view of the world? <laughs> <laughs> right. I believe the, the stuff with the minor was the, I believe that's related to one of the movies that she directed where she was said to have well, basically done to this child, what her father did to her on sets. Okay. Uh, then the Anthony Bourdain thing is so overblown. I'm, uh, I mean, he, 
he had his own mental issues going into that relationship. It was two severely, you know, damaged human beings being damaged together. Yeah. I think the documentary Roadrunner uh, was a little bit unfair in kind of almost assigning blame to her for what happened to him. Oh, oh no, I'm, yeah, not, and I'm not even talking about that. Yeah. I'm talking, you know, I'm talking about basically the stuff on the with the with the son or the the young younger guy. Um, yeah, I she got a lot of shit for Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. and I don't think that it was per- personally. Don't think it was justified. No, I don't think I so think, either. I think that nobody, especially somebody like him, nobody kills themselves just over something rash that he, you know, over a fight. Yeah. It's it's much deeper than that. And I don't think that, um, I don't think it was fair to characterize it as she drove him to suicide. No, it's definitely not. And, and that, that has been the narrative so often when, when men, you know, do things themselves, do things to themselves, there's always a, there's somehow a way to blame a woman for it. Yeah, yeah. All too typical a narrative, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if if okay, so bring it back to Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah, the Chiefs dropped the pass on Sunday, it's her fault. Yeah, if the Chiefs had lost the championship and didn't go, it would have been her fault. Right. And now it's because because they're going you know. Because they're going to the Super Bowl or can we say the Super Bowl? Um uh, we've said it already, so Okay, well sorry. Deal with it, Bob. <laughs> um if if they lo- you know, if it, if they win, it's because it's a psyop created by the government. <laughs> I that's literally something that is out there right now. <laughs> She's not talented. It's just a psyop by the government so that she'll come out during the game and endorse Biden. Ooh. Yes, of course. <laughs> Obviously, you know. <laughs> and the chief servers are here like, yeah, fuck my drag, you know. <laughs> I mean, this narrative, though, of what women do to men, I think was... I mean, you might be able to speak to this. Madonna was, like, blamed for problems that Jose Canseco... And Dennis Rodman had mm-hmm. in games where the, yep. like she'd had sex with them the night before, and then suddenly they weren't good the next day. Like mm-hmm. that's such nonsense, such bullshit. Oh, uh, Dick Tracy didn't wasn't a blo- wasn't a huge blockbuster, so it was her fault. <laughs> it was she put a spell over Warren Beatty, <laughs> um, and he you know he shouldn't have. Uh, put her in the movie, but she created some sort of witchcraft. I'm just like, oh god, come on. Yeah, no, it's just so. it's just a lot of straight up misogyny. Men being afraid of uh, of women who have any kind of power. Yep, absolutely. Uh, speaking of, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, speaking of Madonna, she uh, I went and saw her in Chicago, and she talked about a league of their own. Hmm. Uh, and how she learned baseball, and then she sang "This Used to Be My Playground" mm-hmm. live for the first time ever. Oh wow! So, oh wow! I just had to put that in there. I would know. have thought she'd done that before. No. Nope. So it's movie related, right? Mm, yeah. Vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, Panico is on Shutter for anybody who wants to see uh, that movie, uh, that documentary, all about the career of uh, Dario Argento. Uh, Shutter, by the way, terrific spot for documentaries, uh, you know, regardless of what you think of the directors. Like uh, they did a great William Friedkin uh, documentary. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest Friedkin fan, but uh, other than you know a couple of his movies, but uh, they did a tremendous documentary on him. They've got a number of really good documentaries on horror directors on Shutter that uh, people should check out. They also there's also Queer for Fear, which is a documentary series. Oh, that's really good. You should check it out. Hmm. That's our that's our advertisement for Shutter. They are not paying us for this, but if they'd like to pay us for this, you know, yes, Shutter, we, we we welcome it. Get at me. <laughs> uh, speaking okay, speaking of horror and Dario Gento, we talked about we, we watched uh, a pair of Argento films, and uh, let's begin with the Bird with the Crystal Plumage uh, from 1970. It was a huge hit in Italy in 1970. That uh, was basically. Uh, his feature film debut of sorts. I think he might have done something before that, but uh, this is the one that broke him out mainstream and made him a, a, you know, a celebrity director in Italy. Uh, the It stars Tony Massante as a man who's uh, in, about, in over his head, caught up in a, a murder mystery. He witnesses, he's an American writer uh, living in Italy temporarily. He witnesses what he thinks may be an attempted murder. Uh, and while trying to save what he's, assumes is the victim he gets trapped in between these two glass walls and essentially is left there to watch this woman nearly die uh he's eventually then believed to be a suspect in in the case uh they take his passport they tell him he has to stay in italy and then they turn the case over to him to investigate and that's where the movie kind of loses me because <laughs> why did the cops step back on this serial murder case and essentially turn over all the evidence to this fucking guy. I don't, I wish I had an explanation for you. <laughs> it's, it plays almost like a parody of American movies where like the, yeah, you know, we've got the American hero who, you know, does what the cops can't do. Like, you know, it, but this is before like Charles Bronson and even before I think uh, dirty Harry. So it, it really it does. <laughs> I'm not sure where you. If this movie came out in 1980, it would be like a very funny idea. But here it seems like this has to be serious because I don't I don't know what else to explain it. Um, it, it is partially, of course, influenced by Hitchcock, which Hitchcock mm-hmm. you know Hitchcock essentially uh, uh, invented the idea. Uh, of a person of a regular person who gets into a situation well over their uh, over their head uh, and uses that to create a, a suspense thriller, uh, and that's certainly the the influence that he's working with here. But yeah, I don't think even I don't think even Hitchcock pushed things as far as Argento does here with the way that this guy turns himself into a detective to invent, to begin investigating this case. Yeah, it's it's been quite a while since I've seen this. Um, I had to choose this or opera, and I haven't seen opera in forty years, so I watched that. Um, mm-hmm. But like a lot of the the Giallo movies, um, the basically Italian slashers, um, mm-hmm. and that's what he's he's best known for uh, is that kind of movie. You know, the black gloved killer moving, you know, and seeing things from their point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
those always to me they seem like and a lot of his movies um seem like he's trying to make an american movie but he's got a a completely different style and he'll occasionally put people you know from um american movies in these italian slasher movies right and i think that it's not necessarily for a uh, I, I don't know if he's necessarily going for a broader appeal but um <laughs> they do come off as kind of sometimes pale imitations of hitchcock or you know american slasher movies even though they, you know, like the bird with crystal plumage that predates, um, you know, most of the slasher genre. Right. So, um, I think that's one of the, one of his trademarks though, is that almost seeming like what would an American do in this position? Yeah. So, uh, I gotta say one thing about this movie that really impressed me. And, and, and I think it shows, he, he is an incredibly talented director. He's got a, an amazing eye, and you know, some of the some of the stuff that he crafts uh, in terms of visuals are, are absolutely stunning, uh, regardless of you know making sense or not. Um, the but the main thing that really struck me was the there's this opening sequence where we're, we're uh, introduced to a victim and the killer, and. Uh, there's this wonderful, wonderful simplicity in the edit where he shows this woman walking down the street alone, kind of oblivious to all the things around her, not really concerned about you know anything that could possibly happen to her, and and then that smash cuts to the killer with the black gloves choosing a knife, mm-hmm. and the simple marriage of one image to the next, that kind of simplicity, you would think that would be something that would be. <laughs> You know, constant among horror directors or constant among good directors, but even that type of simplicity is often missed out on. And just that simple marriage of image via one single edit is just such, it just demonstrates so much talent. Yeah. The the best thing to me about his movies, the storylines don't always make sense. You know, some of them are a little hackneyed as far as the writing, but the style Mm-hmm. is always always great yeah i think for me like suspiria is style over substance for me oh it's yeah lot, yeah yeah it's a lot of style and if you admire the style then you probably admire the movie yeah which i do a lot um the visuals in that movie just alone are worth the price of admission you would have think that you would have thought that Luca Guadagnino could do the same thing, but <laughs> you're well, wrong. But his whole his whole thing is a, is a it's a, just a reimagining of it. Yeah. Do you know this? Do you know the story behind that? I uh, I just know I didn't I didn't care for it. So he when he when they said you want to remake Suspiria, he was like, yes, but I don't want to rewatch the movie. I want to just remake it from what I remember about it. And he hadn't seen it in 30 years. Hmm. So he did. And I personally, I love the, they're completely different movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, I love both of them for different mm. reasons. So. 
I did not, but you know, that's just me. But well, you're an idiot. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's cool. <laughs> uh, but I do like a lot of the bird with crystal plumage. I think I think some of it is very good. I do think like, like a little bit like uh, Argyle. It has maybe one twist too many at the end, but. Uh, by that, I, I but there, there's a lot, there's enough there for me to recommend it and say it's it's worth checking out if you enjoy a good suspense film. Yeah, I agree. Opera from 1987, starring Christina Marsalak as a woman who is uh, drafted in to replace the uh, opera diva at a, an experimental uh, version of Verdi's Macbeth. Uh, she is the understudy. Uh, the main actress, the main singer, uh, is injured in a car accident and cannot perform. And uh, this one gets drafted in. And this leads to the discovery of her tragic backstory. Her mother had uh, a relationship with someone uh, years earlier that uh, will now come back to haunt her daughter in this day and age with a killer who forces her to watch uh, the murders that he commits of people that she knows. Uh and really, that that idea is really the only thing that stands out to me about opera overall is that that eye torture device, the mm-hmm. needles on the eyes. It's the main image of the marketing. It's really the main image that stays with you after watching opera is that uh, little bit of blood that trickles down out of her eyes. She's got these needles taped under her eyelids, which... Uh, Argento famously made fun of Christina Marsalek for having to go through two hours of makeup to achieve that in a way that was scary but safe. Yeah. He would have been happy to just put them on her and let her bleed. Yeah. (laughs) Just tell her, don't blink. (laughs) Yeah. That was his plan, was just tell her, don't blink. And she's like, no, I would prefer that we'd be able able to do this safely. So for me, the best thing about opera are the is that visual mm-hmm. of her, you know, eyes with the pins underneath them, and the visual of the ravens. Mm. Um, I just, I just the way that they're used, and they're the, I mean, they're doing Macbeth, the opera, mm-hmm. and they're the chorus. You know, they're like that the chorus of Macbeth, just kind of. Um, observing everything. Mm-hmm. And I really, really dug that. Um, she is not an actress uh, in this movie. She was not. And I, but I don't think that that's all her fault. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of that is him and their, you know, her advocating for herself and him not liking that. Um, really shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can tell that by the end of the movie, the stuff that he's doing to her, (laughs) (laughs) you can just tell it's like, he just does not like her. It's like watching a Rob zombie Halloween movie. He does not like women that are (laughs) Sherry moon zombie. Um, it's just, it's, Knowing this going into it, like I like I saw I saw this on videotape on VHS. Mm-hmm. I rented this from the little local video shop in Princeton, and I was so excited. And I, you know, I was like, "Oh, it's so cool!" And 
watched it and then completely forgot about it until I started, you know, seeing the uh, the thumbnail of her eyes on Shutter, yeah, or or you know wherever whatever streaming service, just kind of flipping through it. Oh yeah, I should rewatch that sometime. Um, and it was completely different than what I remembered. Like I didn't, I didn't not remember the ending of it. <laughs> yeah, the ending, the is, tacked on ending. <laughs> it, the ending's terrible. I mean, honestly, the the we get to the end and like you've you think you've seen the the villain of the movie die, and then he's not dead, and it's a very silly, very convoluted off screen explanation of how this person yeah. might have might have escaped this this situation that was clearly unescapable uh just so they could tack on one more ending for no good reason and because i guess they wanted to kill one more guy it's it's like it's like argento's argyle (laughs) (laughs) twist upon twist upon twist I I like the I like the concept of this killer, like a killer who needs to have an audience to kill. Yeah. Like that's a that's a clever idea, and that's that's mm-hmm. a that's a actually a really great idea. But I just don't think that overall the movie it it overstays its welcome. It's kind of shapeless at times, where it's just sort of drifting along. The uh, you know, the death of Daria Nicolotti's character takes forever. That scene lasts a fucking lifetime. <laughs> and I didn't want to see her go because I, because I did enjoy the character, but uh, at the same time, they dragged that out forever. It's just, it, it was unnecessary. You know what? I, I just completely unnecessary. And he insisted on it. Yeah. The studio was like, you don't need it. And he was like, no, we totally need it. <laughs> no, you don't. And it doesn't even follow, you know, like, it doesn't even follow his MO of having an have, having to have an audience. Yeah. Yeah. He just, <laughs> you know, yeah, cause she can't, well, she can't even see it at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the poor blocking. <laughs> oh my God. Um, it, I mean, they're still like, it's Argento. So it's, it, at the very least, this is better than most horror movies just because he is, he is a visual stylist. He's an auteur. He's a visionary. Um, at the very least, there's always something interesting happening, as opposed to you know ninety percent of modern horror. Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely style over substance. But after a certain point in each of his movies, the style is the substance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Suspiria is all style. And the style becomes the substance. And I think after um, after Suspiria, most of his movies are the style is the substance. Mm. And this one, this one is that you know a lot because he can't direct her, and she's not a seasoned actress yet. And uh, you know, he was a, a, another thing, kind of pointing to him wanting to make American movies. William McNamara is in the movie. <laughs> uh, he's the first victim that she has to watch die. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you know who was supposed to play the diva that she replaced? Mm, oh yes, the uh, um, Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, and she was going to have a much bigger part, but she had to drop out. Um, yeah, that character did seem uh, sort of shuffled off a little too quickly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Be- 
there's like a version of the script that that uh, that she's definitely more of more a part of it. Her anger over being replaced is is part of. I think what what might have been kind of cool is if um, the killer whose name I can't remember. I I don't remember a lot from this because it I just again style over substance. Yeah, uh, might have been cool if you know he was her son. And, yeah, you that, know, yeah. His that, age, his age makes no sense to me. How how was he? Was he a child when he was when he first became a killer? Yeah, uh, I don't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't track because he looks because he looks about her age, Christina Marslak's age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, isn't he positioned? He's kind of positioned as a love interest uh, at, a, at a certain point, uh, uh, and then suddenly he's the guy who is there you know, killing people in front of her mother years ago. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense to me. But I, I think, again, Argento didn't so much care about that. He he cared about creating a premise and he cared about creating a series of uh, visuals that, that appeal to him and, and I kind of ideas that appeal to him that might turn into something. Yeah, I think... <sighs> he's a very visual filmmaker and I feel like that's how he's, he's just filming storyboards and hoping that they, they fit together somehow. Yeah. Some of his stuff um, and some of the scenes in all of his movies seem like he storyboarded something and then got the storyboards mixed up and just filmed something that was cool. (laughs) And then filmed another thing that was cool and they don't really work together, but he just put them together. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no that's definitely true <laughs> uh, but yeah. like I said before though I think a bad Argento movie is better than most modern horror movies oh yeah I completely agree um, you know with very few exceptions I I couldn't get on board with that all right, Jeff. Any any last thoughts on Dario Argento? Um, watch Suspiria if you haven't watched it. Um, don't fuck with Asia Argento. Let her be. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I don't. I mean, it, <clears throat> you either get her, get him, or you don't. Yeah. You either like his style and appreciate that about him or you don't um he's not he's a he's a great filmmaker in that visual style especially the uh the giallo film style mm-hmm. um he could never make something like the irishman you know what i mean or you know right. <laughs> killers of the flower moon i would i would not want to see dario argento's argyle you know i'm <laughs> just <laughs> yeah Although he, Matthew Vaughn and him do have that style over substance kind of thing in common. Certainly. Um, but, I, you know, I wouldn't want to see his Killers of the Flower Moon or uh, although Dario Argento's Barbie. <laughs> absolutely going to be there on day one. Uh, first in line for that. Um, <laughs> God, could you imagine? No, I, I, no, no. Greta uh, Gerwig's opera. And she, she, okay, here's, here, this is, 
Greta Greta Gerwig could make opera, but Dario Argento could never make Barbie. Yeah, that's accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> All right, Jeff, I got to wrap up, but uh, thank you. And uh, thank next you. week we're talking about Frankenstein. Uh, Lisa Frankenstein is the new movie in theaters, and uh, we'll be talking about Bride of Frankenstein and breaking down some of our favorite uh, Frankenstein's monster stories from uh, from over the years. Uh, so that'll I be. Re- Go really, ahead. really, really hope I can get a guest pass to get in to see that movie because it does not look appealing to me whatsoever. <laughs> and I don't know if it's Catherine Newton, who I'm just, I don't know, she's kind of like a female version of Jason Clark for me. Um, <laughs> I like I don't her. know. We'll see. Uh, I'm interested. I, oh, we'll see. It's coming out this week, and uh, we'll have it uh, for next week's show. Jeff, thank you. Thanks a lot.